turn to Acts chapter 4. This morning we're going to be in verses 23 through 31. And we're going to look at five truths that bring boldness into our life. So everyone has fears, right? Or am I the only one? I'm the only one. Thanks, Thanks Bradley. Everyone has fears, right? So I figured this morning I'd share a few of my fears with you guys. So one of my fears is being in a car accident. Uh, in high school, one time I was driving to tennis practice and my older sister was taking me. And we got in this accident. We pulled out in this car, ran a red light, and like T-boned us. We did like a 360 and like spun off. And like no one was hurt. But like every time I feel like a car like getting super close to me now, I have this like, like flashback inside my mind of like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get in an accident again. Um, another one of my fears, believe it or not, is talking in front of people, or specifically like preaching the word of God. Um, I have this like fear in the back of my head that one day I'm gonna like get up in front of you guys and then just forget everything I'd prepared, everything I'd studied, and just like awkwardly stare at you guys for like 30, 45 minutes. It's one of my biggest fears. Another one of my fears is what people think of me. Um, it's easy for me to care what other people think about me. I never wanted to be labeled as like the classic millennial who, who didn't do anything or didn't try hard. Um, and so it's easy for me to um, just work really hard because I don't want to be classified as something bad. It's a fear of mine. I looked up a few more fears. 75% of high schoolers are afraid of getting bad grades. That was definitely me. Uh, 51% are afraid to talk to their parents about personal things. Uh, that was definitely me as well. Um, another one, 66% are afraid of the future and what they're gonna do after they graduate. But a lot of you guys can relate to that. And the greatest fear that was found all time um, for graduates was being alone. And if we're not careful, it's easy to let these fears be our motivation for what we do and how we run and how we live our lives. So we all need boldness because we all do have fears. And today we're going to look at five truths, as I said earlier, that bring boldness into our life, that the Lord uses to bring boldness into our life. Um, so the context for you guys, where we just left off, you guys remember Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit fell and everyone was empowered to do the work God had given to them. Uh, then after we see Peter and John, just previously in the chapter before, they heal this lame beggar. So this guy was lame from birth. They heal him. This guy gets up and starts dancing and just proclaiming the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John get arrested. They're taken before this council in Jerusalem of the top religious leaders and the top people. And these people tell them to stop preaching the name of Jesus. And they, they stand up to the guys and they say, hey, uh, it's, it's in verse, let's see, 19 and 20 of chapter, chapter, through, chapter 4, sorry. They say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. So then the council after that ended up releasing them because they found no way to charge them, and all the people around them were praising the Lord. So that's where we leave off, and today we're going to be in verses 23 through 31. So I'm going to read through it real quick, and then we'll get into it. So verse 23, it says, When they were released, so talking to Peter and John, 
they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father, excuse me, through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servants, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray again as we get into it. Lord, we come before you now, God. Lord, and I ask that you just fill me with boldness, Lord. Um, I pray that you'd help me to communicate your word well. Lord, we know that your word is truth and in it is life, God, and, and you have each something for each and every one of us here this morning. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would just speak through me and, and work in, in everyone's heart and everyone's life here this morning. Um, God, I don't have anything to give of myself, so we just ask that you would speak now, Lord, and um, that you would just have your way with us here this morning. Um, Lord, continue to bring boldness into our lives and show us ways in which we can bring boldness into our life. We thank you so much for Jesus and the cross and that we can come here this morning freely just to worship you. Uh, go before us and guide us. In your name I pray. Amen. So, like I said earlier, we're going to look at and pull out five truths on boldness from this passage. So before we get into verse 23, just imagine yourself in this scene, in this situation, what's going on. Right? Imagine you're there with Peter and John. Excuse me. And you just got arrested and they release you, what would you guys do? And I don't know about you guys, but I'd be like, I'm out of there. I'd get in my car, I'd drive as far away as possible. Like picture it, let's say, like today you went to the Yellow, yellow Deli for lunch, and uh, the people there like arrested you and said like, you can't talk about Jesus. Like would you ever go to the Yellow Deli again? Like, probably not, right? I know I wouldn't. I would just be like, that's crazy. Um, but that's not what these people do. That's not what the apostles do here. So look at what they do, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God. So here we see that they all come together and they start praying. And we see this over and over again with the early church. And it was, it was convicting in my life because, like, one of my first reactions is, like, to think, okay, how am I going to figure this out? I'm going to make this work. But, like, the Lord was just speaking to me this week, and he's like, Matt, just stop and pray sometimes. Like, things will go on in your life. Why don't you just take time to stop and pray? And that's what we see here doing. We see that prayer was their first priority. Now, as we're going to continue, let's, let's look at their prayer. We see this in verse 24. Um, they said, Sovereign Lord... 
who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So stop right there. My first point, as we see this morning, as we look at prayer, um, is that the Father is sovereign. We find boldness in knowing that the Father is sovereign. Look again at their prayer. They say, Sovereign Lord. Man, how do you guys start your prayers? I know for me, sometimes it's just like, Dear Lord, thank you for today. Uh, I pray the food at school doesn't suck as bad. And, um, but like, no, they're like, they're getting into it. They're, they start their prayer, Sovereign Lord. I'm reading a book right now by a guy named A.W. Tozer. And the book's called The Knowledge of God. It's a really good book. If you guys are looking for a good book to read, read it. But on the very first page, he says this. He says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'll read that again. He said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I would argue that the way we start our prayers many times reveal how we see God. We see for the apostles, for their friends here, the way they viewed the Lord was sovereign Lord. And the word sovereign isn't a word we use very much today. So I did a little research on it, a little word study. The word sovereign means to supremely rule. It's, it's, it has a Latin origin, which means to super reign or to possess ultimate control. So to say that the Father is sovereign is to say that God is in control of everything. We see Peter and John and these people reminding themselves that God is in control. Guys, and I know I need to be reminded of this this morning, and I'm sure there's some of you that need to be reminded of this this morning. Guys, that God is in control of whatever's going on in your life. There's nothing that can touch you that hasn't first passed through the loving hand of God. We see this over and over in the Bible. God doesn't give people easy situations. A lot of times they're very tough and they're very hard, but we know that God is loving and that he's giving them to us to make us look more like Jesus. This is a truth and one of the beautiful promises that I've been holding on to really tight the last three years. The last three years of my life has been a complete journey. So like growing up, I was your average like jock little kid who wanted to go play like professional sports and, and do that. And um, um, like getting into high school, I was really good at tennis. I got second in state my eighth grade year, ultimately my senior year. And my senior year rolled around and, and I had a full ride to go play college tennis. And I was praying about it. Okay, Lord, is this what you want me to do? And I felt like the Lord was just kind of speaking to me. He's like, okay, Matt, you can go do that but are you gonna go do what you wanna do or are you gonna go do what I have for you? And that was a tough decision. That was one of those things where it's like, okay, God, I don't know what you have for me, but I gotta trust that, that it's something else. So I decided to go to community college because that was what everyone told me I should do. Um, and then a month through community college, I was listening. I was one of the leaders at my high school group back home and we were listening to a Francis Chan sermon on a Sunday morning. And, and Francis Chan said something. He said, the greatest time in my life was a time and a season when I just got to take a few months or maybe like 12 months or something. I don't remember what he said. But just be alone with the Lord. And like in that moment, I don't know what it was, but I felt like the Lord was just speaking directly to me. He was just like, you need to go to Bible college. So I went home, told my mom, hey, mom, guess what? I'm dropping out of 
community college, and I'm going to save up to go to Bible college. And to my surprise, my mom was like, great. I had a feeling you'd do that anyway. And I was like, okay, thanks, Mom. Appreciate that. Um, but I didn't know what was going on. And so it's just been a journey. But in that, you know, I went to Bible college, and the Lord miraculously provided financially and so many other ways for every semester. And before my fourth semester, so going into my third, um, which was last spring, I felt like the Lord just put on my heart, like, stay out in California and just work this summer. So I was like, okay, Lord. So I talked to my pastor back home. He's like, yeah, no problem. Um, he's like, he told me, he's like, hey, if you're going to be Jonah and try to rebel, like, don't put me in the boat with you, okay? Like, go where God's telling you to go. So I did that. And then uh, I got a job at the Bible College campus. because so I was like, okay, I need to stay around for the summer. So I'll get a job somewhere. And then little did I know a week later, Pastor Rob, who's teaching one of my classes, pulled me aside and said, hey, we're doing an internship this summer. Do you want to come by and do it? So it's just like little by little, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I saw the Lord and trusting in the Lord, he provided all these things. And now before you guys today, I can tell you guys two years ago, I didn't know what Calvary Vista was. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know anything. But that's a truth that I've been holding on to so long. And I feel like some of you guys need to too, that, that God is in control of whatever's going on in your life this morning. Um, I had a friend... And in the midst of everything going on, he told me this, and it stuck with me. He said, when you cannot trace the hand of God, we must trust his heart. That's so true, because so often the Lord doesn't give us a big picture of what's going to happen, but it's just step by step. And if we trust that, that God loves us and that he cares for us, and he has a plan to give us a hope and a future, that he's good, then it's, it's a lot easier to take those steps in following what he has for us. Take a drink real quick, sorry. This mic's always the worst for taking a drink. <clears throat> so I was doing some more research um, this week. And this is crazy. This is, this is something that blew my mind. You guys know over, over 20% of high schoolers are seriously depressed. In 2015, which I'm sure the stats have only gone up since, 18% of high schoolers had either attempted or seriously considered suicide. This is one of every five people that you guys meet. Guys, what if these people knew that God was in control? What if they knew that there was hope and love and rest and joy and peace found in Jesus? Guys, here's another question. What if these people had other people come alongside and tell them these things? But here's what we do know. We do know that one... These people can know Jesus, that, that Jesus died, that they may live. And two, not only can we be these people to come alongside, but we're called to be these people to come alongside. And we understand that, that God is in control. This brings boldness into our life. We understand that when I mess up, when I fail, it's not the end of the world. It brings boldness into our life. We take risks for what God has for us. Again, I've heard it said this way, our boldness isn't in being in control of our life, but our boldness is knowing the one who is in control of our life. So one, we see that boldness comes from knowing that the Father is sovereign, knowing that God's in control. Number two, we see that boldness comes from knowing that God's word is enduring. We see this in verses 25 through 28. So we'll read through that again. 
verse 25. He says, And through the mouth of your father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So here we see at the beginning in verses 25 and 26 that they're quoting from Psalm 2, where they see them praying over the Psalms again. And Psalm 2 is a messianic and prophetic psalm. So what that means is this psalm was written by David a thousand BC and yet perfectly fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Isn't that just crazy? I think like skeptics are like, there's no way the Bible can be true. And you're like, dude, this was written a thousand years before it even happened and yet came true in the person of Jesus. We see that the, the apostles and Peter and John, they, they watched this verse come true right before their eyes. We see that the word of God makes us bold. It reminds us of truth. It reminds us of the promises of God and our identity in Christ. How many of you guys have seen one of God's promises perfectly fulfilled and just come true right before your eyes? Right? This should bring boldness into our life. In trusting that God is faithful, we should know, okay, God's going to continue to be faithful. Uh, for me, so many times I just forget and just go on in fear. I don't know why. There was once a man named John Craston. He was one of the early church leaders, one of the early church fathers. And there's this story about him being sent before a Roman emperor, uh, the Roman emperor Arcadius. And the story goes like this. So he was standing before the emperor, and the emperor had just threatened to banish him. And John said, for you cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. So the emperor said, then I'll slay you. And John said, no, you cannot slay me, for my life is hid with Christ my God. The emperor again looked at him and said, then your treasures will all be confiscated. And John said, that can't be, for my treasures are all in heaven where no one can break in and steal. And finally the emperor looked at him and said, then I will chase you from among men, and you will have no friends. And one last time, John looked at him and said, for you can't do that either, for I have a friend in heaven who will never leave me nor forsake me. With every threat the emperor came at with John, John came back with him from a truth in scripture. Do you guys see in this way how, how the enduring word of God and knowing God's word, knowing that it's eternal and the impact it has in our life can bring boldness into our life? When we're trusting on the promises of God, this brings boldness into our life. In a world and culture that's always changing, we have a boldness that's rooted and founded in the word of God, which never changes. So we've looked at one thing, boldness is found one knowing that the Father is sovereign, knowing that God is in control. Two, it's found knowing the enduring word of God, trusting on the promises of God and what God says. Number three, boldness is found in Jesus interceding for us. And that word interceding just means to go behalf on. It's kind of a fancy word. Um, but let's look again to verses 29 and 30. 
It says, And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So at the end, we see they're praying in the name of Jesus. And uh, a bunch of places in the Bible, we see it in Romans and Colossians and Ephesians, uh, First and Second Timothy, a couple other places. We're told that when Jesus died and ascended, he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it says he's making intercession for us. So basically, Jesus is um, our go-between between God the Father and us. Because us being sinners, we can't reach a holy and perfect God. So Jesus is that middleman between us. And so when we're praying in the name of Jesus, we're praying to God. But notice in their prayer, just a couple things, though. They didn't pray for deliverance from their problems but they asked for boldness in the midst of their problems. We see that in 29. He said, For now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Another thing they didn't pray for, they didn't pray for their enemies to be destroyed, but that they'd be faithful to God in the midst of tough situations. Um, when we understand that Jesus is interceding for us, the Bible even says that he's, he's praying for us, this should bring boldness into our lives because it's not just about us and it's not all on us, but we know that, that Jesus is working as well. So, and then we come to our fourth point that, that the Spirit is empowering. We see this in verse 31. Let's read verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Notice this is kind of a similar event to Pentecost. That they're filled again with the Holy Spirit. We see that the, Holy, the filling of the Holy Spirit is a continuous thing. So the Holy Spirit, he does three things. One, he draws man to salvation. We see that in the Gospels. The Holy Spirit says about wooing man to salvation. So when you're, when you're unsaved, the Holy Spirit's trying to bring you closer and closer to God. And two, when you're saved, he seals us for salvation. And um, Ephesians 1, it talks about the Holy Spirit being our guarantee of our salvation. So if, if you guys ever question, okay, well, am I really saved? You can ask yourself, well, is the Holy Spirit working in my life? And if yeah, absolutely, then, then yeah, that's your guarantee. You are sealed to the day of salvation. But number three, we see that the Holy Spirit is empowering. Like it was at Pentecost when they all, they spoke in tongues and, and they were doing mighty things for the Lord. But we see that that's a continuous act. Um, the, but the Bible talks about be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So every day when I wake up, I'm like, Lord, fill me again with your Holy Spirit to do exactly what you have for me to do today. So it's, it's a continuous thing, and it's, it's, a, it's, yeah, continuous. And the Lord's doing it in us, and it's something we need to be constantly refilled and refreshed on and notice why they were filled it tells us at the end they're filled with the holy spirit and they continued to speak the word of god with all boldness we see the reason they were filled with the holy spirit was to speak the word of god with all boldness and this tells us a few things it tells us that boldness and this courage this confidence they had in the lord wasn't something that was just natural that it was supernatural we see that in the life of peter right before Jesus went to the cross, Peter denied him three times. 
One of the times it was to a little girl. He's like, no, I don't even know him. Like, I don't know him at all. But now we see the Holy Spirit comes upon him and empowers him. And he's preaching to thousands of people. And he just stood before the council and told the council, I can't help but speak of the things that I've heard and seen. Guys, similar ways, I see this in my own life. I grew up in the church. Um, I did all the right things. I said the right answers. But it was until like middle school when I feel like the Lord actually saved me and filled me with his Holy Spirit. He gave me new desires. Uh, it wasn't then until I realized the grace of God and that I was saved, not because of all the good things I did, but because of the perfect work that Jesus completed. When this happened, um, me and my friends, we used to all go evangelizing at the mall. Like I wanted everyone to know about Jesus. And it was the Holy Spirit at work within me. And I don't say that to puff myself up. Because you guys all know that I'm a sinner and I suck. I'm saved by the grace of God. But I say that to show the power of the Holy Spirit. And the transforming work he does. So let's review real quick. Our first point, we saw that boldness comes from knowing that the Father is sovereign. Our second point, we saw that boldness came from knowing the enduring word of God. Three, we see that boldness comes in knowing that Jesus is interceding for us. He's fighting our battles. He's going before us. Number four, we see that boldness comes from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And number five, we see that boldness comes from knowing that, that this mission that God has given us is unstoppable. It's a mission. It is. It's unstoppable. People have tried to do it for thousands of years. Hitler burned every Bible. People have been trying to stop this, and it hasn't, and it's not going to because it's founded and it's empowered by God. Guys, and God's given us, each and every one of us, this mission, so, so don't waste it. We see that Acts 4 is the beginning of Christian persecution, which still goes on to this very day. Guys, around the world, there are millions of people who are suffering, are facing the very real fact that they could die today just for professing the name of Jesus, following him and, and making him known. They don't have the liberty, they don't have the, the, um, yeah, the liberty to come in to a place like this like we do. They're hiding underground. Guys, so I'm going to ask you guys a question one of my teachers asked me this week. What would you do for the Lord if you had no fear? And take a minute to think about it. Because there's something I was like, oh, I have no idea. Because so often I'm, I'm driven by fear. I wish I could go back to the high school version of Matt with three years ago and ask myself this question. What would I have done for the Lord in high school if I had no fear? I wish I could look at myself back then and say, Matt, stop wasting your life. Because I wasted so much time in high school uh, doing things that have no eternal value. And they weren't necessarily bad, but, but I, I don't worry as much now about what I looked like or what people cared about me. Some of the things I worry about now that, that break my heart are the people I sat next to in class for, for a semester and never told about the Lord and have died now. And apart from God doing a miraculous work in their life, they may not be in heaven. I don't know where they are. But I had the opportunity to sit next to them for, for a whole semester, for a whole year, and yet never shared the gospel with them. There's a story of a man. Um, 
people had prayed for for years and years and years. And his family would go to church every Sunday without him. And they just continued to go to church every Sunday without him. He never came to church. And then one Sunday, this guy decides to go to church with his family. And it's a normal church service. You guys have all been there. And the pastor gets up at the end and gives an opportunity for people to come forward and receive the Lord. And when he did, this guy got up and probably in a walker at age 78, just walking forward, came forward and was just weeping and weeping and weeping. And was just okay, up there, accepted the Lord. The guy said, why are you weeping? You're a Christian. And he just said, I've wasted it, I've wasted it, I've wasted it. And that's all he could say. He's just up there weeping that he wasted 70 years of his life that he could have known the Lord and served the Lord, but yet wasted it all. And then some of you guys may be saying, okay, Matt, I'm not 78 years old. I get that. I'm not 78 either. But we're never guaranteed another day. We're never guaranteed another hour. Some of us could die in a car accident on the way home. I mean, I'm not hoping anyone dies in a car accident on the way home. Don't give me a... But, but that's the truth. And you don't know how many people in my youth group I sat next to, I went to camp with, every summer, who completely deny the Lord and, and even are walking with them today, guys, it never gets easier. The time to live for the Lord is today. And so I'd encourage you guys, don't waste the time he's given you now. We get one shot at life, one shot at high school. There's no replays, there's no do-overs. We have a choice. We're either going to make it count or we can, we can throw it away. And I know this is kind of heavy and it's kind of hard, but, but this is the gospel. And I'm reading the story of Acts and the things these guys are doing. And don't get me wrong, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by the grace of God and what he does. But I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at their life and I'm like, my life does not match up with this. And I don't know if you guys have come to the same realization, but these guys are doing amazing things for the Lord and, man, sometimes I feel so bad. I just sit at Bible college, and I gain all this knowledge, and, and I never do anything with it. I just become spiritually fat. There's, there's an old dead guy. His name, actually, I don't know if he's dead. He's probably dead, though. His name's C.T. Studd, and he said this. I actually have this on my mirror. I have a postcard with my near, on my mirror. I see it every morning. He says, there's only one life that is soon to pass, and only what's done for Christ will last. So I want to ask you guys this morning, man, what are you doing for the Lord? And like I said earlier, don't get me wrong. It's not about all these things we can do for the Lord. It's about what the Lord's done for us. But when we understand what the Lord's done for us, that should bring motivation and power into our lives to serve him and to want to do things for him. And even greater than that, guys, our mission is unstoppable. So what would you guys do if you had no fear? What are you doing for the Lord this morning? Again, we look at five truths for boldness. And these things should bring boldness into our life. The Father's sovereign that God is in control of our lives. There's nothing that can come to us that hasn't first passed through the hand of a loving Father. Two, that God's word is enduring. It's going to be eternal. It's blasted through the ages. It's going through the ages. Stand on the promises of God and the things he said to us. Three, Jesus is interceding. We can come before God boldly because of the work Jesus has done. And he's praying for us and he's fighting our battles. Number four, the Spirit is empowering. We have the Holy Spirit if we're saved. And 
Many of us probably need to, to pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, that God would do a new work inside of us and give us the strength every day to do the things he's prepared for us to do. And then we have number five, that the mission is unstoppable. Guys, God's plan and his purpose is gonna be fulfilled on the earth. And we get the opportunity, we get the privilege to be a part of that. So what are we doing for the Lord? We're gonna, we're gonna break up into our small groups and I wanna challenge you guys, let's talk about the things we learned here. But we see the apostles praying. And so I wanna, I wanna challenge you guys to pray and, and to pray for three things particularly. Pray for one, man, the, persecute, the persecuted church around the world. Pray that not necessarily they'd be delivered from their tribal, trial, but they'd be faithful to Jesus in the midst of it as we see the apostles praying. Pray for two missionaries, man, they're all around. They're, they're in Vista, they're in Africa, they're, they're everywhere. And pray that they'd be bold in proclaiming Christ. And three, let's, let's pray for us, for each other, that we'd be bold and courageous and take every opportunity that Jesus has given us to make him known. And let's, let's think about the reality that, that God has died for us and he's given us this mission like I said, the mission is unstoppable. One of my teachers had like this super cool analogy. The Lord just reminded me of it, just a second. So there's a story. This man was once offered to be deposited $1,440 every single day for a limited time. I'll ask you guys this morning. If, if someone said, hey, I'll give you $1,400 and $40 every single day for a limited time. You don't know how long that is. It could be a day. It could be 20 years. How would you spend that money? One condition, every dollar you do not spend from the day before you lose. And you can't add it up to save up for something. So every day you have 1,000 and it starts fresh the next day. Also, again, you don't know when the money is going to stop being deposited. It's for a limited time offer. What would you guys do with that money? How would you spend that money? Well, the truth is that God gives us every day 1,440 minutes to be spent. And so how are we spending it? How are we spreading it? How are we using this time? Are we using it for the Lord and the things he has for us? Or are we using it for ourselves and to build up our own kingdom? So let's take some, I'll pray, and let's break up into our small groups. And let's discuss it, but let's take some time to pray you know, for the persecuted church, for missionaries, for each other. Because this boldness isn't found within ourselves, but it's found in the Lord and in the things he's given us. And Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly before the Lord, before the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done. So, Lord, we, we come before you now, God. Lord, and I thank you that you call us to go on this mission with you, Lord, that's unstoppable. God, I pray that we'd rest and find peace and hope and joy, Lord, in knowing you're in control. God, that, that you, you don't give us anything that, that you're not going to sustain us through. Lord, I pray that we'd have boldness, God, supernatural boldness, to share the gospel with others, to love people where they're at, Lord, to 
to, Lord, just be obedient to you. Lord, I thank you so much for this group. I thank you for this opportunity to speak. God, I just ask that you'd, you'd work in us and that you'd, you'd do a mighty thing here in Vista. Lord, we do. We lift up the persecuted church, God, that, that they'd be faithful to you. God, and missionaries all around would be bold in sharing your gospel. Lord, and I pray for each and every one of these guys and girls here. Lord, as they go out this week, Lord, fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, as they're on break, I pray that they wouldn't waste their break, but they'd use it to draw closer to you, Lord. And, and as they see family and friends that don't know you, that they'd be faithful and diligent, God, in, in showing you to them. Lord, I pray as they go back to school next week, God, that they wouldn't waste their time in high school, Lord, but they'd make it count for you and, and for your glory. Lord, go before us and guide us, Lord, in, in our small groups now. In, in your name I pray. Amen.